Please remain standing for this morning's scripture reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, him being Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go. And do likewise. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, as Damien said, last week we looked at loving God. Uh, this week we're going to look at loving your neighbor. And next week we're going to look at loving one another. So you could say we're doing up, out, in as a, as a flow for this sermon series. So what I want you to do is get your Bibles open, uh, open up the worship online worship guide, whatever you need to do, get Luke 10, 25 and, and following in front of you because we're going to be looking at that text this morning. Now, regardless of, of who you are, your level of familiarity with Scripture, with the Bible, you probably are familiar or at least have heard of this story, the story of the Good Samaritan as it's known. But I want to look at this story uh, and, and see how it actually encourages and challenge us, challenges us as a congregation to love our neighbors. And so my point really this morning is, is kind of a thesis statement, if you will. And that is that in order to love your neighbor, you must see clearly, feel deeply, and give freely. Again, in order to love your neighbor, you must see clearly, feel deeply, and love, I'm sorry, give freely. Okay, we're going to look at that. We're going to see the text. It's kind of broken into two sections, the setup and the story. So let's look at the setup together. Hopefully by now you've got verse 25 of Luke 10 in front of you. It says, and behold, a lawyer. Now, pause. When you hear lawyer in the Bible, think Bible scholar, not law and order. Okay, moving on. A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? His question is not about a way of life. His question is about the way to life. That's really significant. And he asks, what shall I do? You see, in the worldview of the lawyer, in the way that he sees the world working, he really believes that God helps those who, helps, who help themselves. In other words, the kingdom of God, from the lawyer's perspective, is a meritocracy. Um, his vision is actually more about 
grit, what I can do, than about grace, what only God can do. And so this shapes the way that he views what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus responds to that in verse 26. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, it's important to pay attention to how does Jesus treat the Bible in the Bible? Because we ought to get our our doctrine of Scripture, our view of Scripture from Jesus in many ways. And and so let me just challenge this. I I would venture to believe that Jesus always probably has a higher view of Scripture than you do. He knows the only place to answer such a question as the lawyers is from the Bible. It's the only place with the authority and the sufficiency to speak to a question like that one, which is a good question. But Jesus goes further than that. He says, how do you read it? How do you read it, lawyer? And he's not asking for a literacy lesson. Jesus knows how to read. He's saying, what is it? What's the lens through which you interpret the text? How do you actually read the scripture? Because he knows that how we read the Bible is one of the most important things about us. And the lawyer responds in verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. You did it. Do this and you will live. Now notice what Jesus said. He said, do this and you will live, not do this and you will inherit eternal life. So he changed his answer a little bit there. And that's important because what Jesus is really saying is, Do you want to be fully alive? He's asking us that this morning. Do you want to be fully alive? If you do, then then spend your life loving God with all of yourself and your neighbor as yourself. It's the only truly human way to exist in this world. This is Jesus' vision of personal wellness. This is Jesus' vision of mental health. This is Jesus' vision of what it means to live the good life. It's the double love command for God and for neighbor. Do this and you will live. You'll you'll be fully alive, he's saying. But even the lawyer knows that that's easier said than done. He knows that when you start with the question, what shall I do? The very next question will always have to be, have I done enough? Have I done enough? And, and so this is significant because we often ask ourselves, am I good enough? Am I smart enough in our cultural, uh, current cultural climate? Am I woke enough? Am I rich enough? Am I successful enough? Am I enough? That's the question that follows when you ask the question, what shall I do? And so the lawyer's response to Jesus in verse 29 is this. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus... And who is my neighbor? You see, the lawyer had the right answer. Jesus himself said so. But why Jesus wanted the lawyer to answer the question, why he put the question back in his court, is because he wanted him to say it with his own lips because he knew that he doesn't live it with his life. So he might have the right answer. He might have orthodoxy, but does he have orthopraxy? Does he live out the love of God and neighbor the way that he's called to? So the lawyer, because he asked, what shall I do, is now having to make up an excuse for why he has not done. And that's why he returns that question with, who is my neighbor? And so it's not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of love. It's not ignorance that's his problem. It's lovelessness that's his problem. And so what we see is that as he's asking, who is my neighbor, he's actually dodging the claim of love upon his life by redefining who is it that I'm responsible for. 
Who is it that I should be concerned about and look out for? You see, the, the, the lawyer was actually really good to his tribe. He was, a good, he was good to his people. And, and you have to realize that Leviticus 19, where love your neighbor as yourself comes from, was interpreted at this time to mean Israel, but nobody outside of Israel. And so the lawyer's question is a legitimate one. It was so bad. Let's let, hear this. The bias against those outside of Israel was so bad in this, in this man's day and age that there was actually a saying that it was wrong to help a Gentile woman, here, non-Jewish woman. It was, it was wrong to help a Gentile woman during childbirth because you'd just be bringing another Gentile into this world. That's how deep this bias went. And so when the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? Beneath that question is a desire to exclude responsibility for some people by making them non-neighbors. You see, people, religious people, have been manipulating this book for millennia to mar marginalize whomever they please. It was happening here. It happens today. The, the word neighbor is being redefined often, always, to confine it to my people, my tribe, my group. And whenever that happens, injustice follows. This is important. Brothers and sisters, this is happening today on the right and on the left. And so we have to know our definition of neighbor if we're going to speak winsomely to our culture. So how does Jesus respond to this question? He tells a story. Classic Jesus. So let's look at the story in verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, I'll just tell you, I was... In college, I worked as a substitute teacher in Orange County Public Schools, which is a huge, I think it's like, at the time, 10th largest in the nation. And so I didn't actually have an iPhone at that point. It was, it was pre-smartphone for me. Uh, I'm a late adopter. And so I would do this thing. I'd wake up really early in the morning because it was usually high schools, which start at like 7 o'clock. And so I'd wake up really early, and I would go on Google Maps, and I'd figure out where this school was. And I usually took the, the Title I schools because I preferred those ones, so I'd find it. And then I would have to, I rode a motorcycle at the time, I'd have to memorize the instructions to how to get there, and then I'd set out on my motorcycle hoping that I figured out how to get there. And so I'd find myself at various points and times in the not-so-nice parts of town. And I would be sitting on my motorcycle, and it was dark as night out at 6 a.m., and I'm at a traffic light with my hand on the clutch thinking, I might at any moment have to pop the clutch and get out of here. That was nothing compared to the Jericho Road. The Jericho Road was a ruthless place to go. Um, a historian in the 5th century, St. Jerome, tells us that it was called the Bloody Way. Now, why does this matter? It matters because this man ought to have known better to be traveling the Jericho Road alone. In other words, he maybe was even being reckless, and so therefore, in a way, maybe bears some responsibility for the condition he finds himself in which we see in verse 30. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. If he had been more responsible, he wouldn't have been there. And the reason I'm using that word is because the word responsible comes up often in language, in conversations about mercy and justice. So it matters how that's seen in this text. So you could say this guy got what he could have expected to get traveling the Jericho Road alone. Now, it's important that the text said that he was half dead. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't waste his breath 
inspiring scripture. And this matters for the very next verse, verse 31. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Being religious leaders, both of these men would have known Numbers 19, verse 11, which says, Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days. This man appeared dead at a distance. He looked to be half dead. That's significant because when they walk by, they realize, hey, that guy looks dead. If I touch him, I will be unclean for seven days. So we don't really know why the lawyer and the priest passed by, but this could be an example. This could be a reason. They passed by because the claims of ceremony overrided the claims of charity. The Levite wasn't any better. And, and again, we, we might read into this that either of them were on a hurry. One commentator says maybe they were on a hurry to a committee meeting, a church meeting on how to clean up the Jericho Road and make it a safer place to travel. You see the irony in this, right? The religious people in a hurry. Or another option is maybe they were afraid. Maybe the robbers were still kind of nearby and they could get jumped if they go to help this man. We don't know. But what we do know is that for many of us, our desire to maintain cleanliness, our hurried lives, and our fear prevent us often from loving well. I want you to look at something particular here. They both saw and then moved away. They both saw and then moved away. And we're going to come back to that in particular. Now, the lawyer at this point is probably thinking, okay, Jesus, so who's next? A Pharisee, maybe a, a layman Jew, maybe a, maybe a lawyer like me. And Jesus goes on in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. You and I can't even begin to understand the outrage here. Not a Samaritan. The trash of the world, the mudblood, the mixed breed, the infidel. We've got biblical reasons to despise this man. What Jesus says is devastating. He's gone too far. If he said this today, he would get canceled for it. You're not allowed to use Samaritan in your parable of who the good guy is. It just doesn't work that way. But notice the contrast. The priest saw and then stepped away, whereas the Samaritan stepped toward and then saw. That's significant. Because to love your neighbor, you must see clearly. To love your neighbor, you must see clearly. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus often rebukes his opponents for their blindness. Um, only a few chapters before this, in the Gospel of Luke, there's a story where Jesus is at the house of Simon the Pharisee. And as he's there, a uh, not-so-classy woman comes in and begins to wash his feet with her hair and her tears. And, and Simon the Pharisee is scandalized by it. And do you remember what Jesus' rebuke was? Do you see this woman? Do you even see her? You see, because our desire to justify ourselves has us bypassing the logs in our own eyes to remove the specks in our neighbor's eyes. Do you see clearly? That's what Jesus is getting at here. And so we see that as Jesus calls this, our attention to this reality of seeing clearly, um, it, it's important to hear it's not lived experience that helps you see clearly. It's humility. 
It's not your standpoint that gives you a vantage on the world. It's humility. Because it doesn't matter who you are, all of us are prone to self-righteousness. The desire to justify ourselves is a live temptation for all people at all times in all places. But when we look at the command to love your neighbor as yourself, it's important because we could double-click on that word as, and we would find empathy there. We'd find the ability, imagine, the only way you can love your neighbor as yourself is if you can imaginatively identify yourself with them, with the other. And so empathy is essential for seeing, to wonder, to be able to humbly wonder, what is it like to be them? What is it like to be them? And, and we all know how essential this is for the church to bear witness to our world in this particular area, that we would humbly wonder what it's like to be the other, rather than standing in judgment against them. In other words, if we can see with compassion what others carry, rather than standing in, in, in judgment over how they carry it, we will shine brightly in our world. Verse 33 says that when he saw him, he had compassion. I'm going to say that this is what, a, what psychologists call attunement. Attunement goes beyond mere empathy to this ability to feel their inner world in my inner world. It's the basis of all healthy relationships. It's when I see them in pain and I actually feel some pain as a result of that. And so this is significant because what we see here is emotional language. The Samaritan's ability to see and then be moved with compassion is about how you have to be able to feel deeply in order to love your neighbor. So not only do you see clearly, you have to be able to feel deeply. But when we try to justify ourselves, our compassion is limited. Because best case scenario, we see others in need from a sense of, kind of a smug sense of uh, savior complex and think, well, at least I, I'm here to help them out. Or, or maybe it's, I'm just so glad I'm not where they are. Or worst case scenario, we have contempt on the needy because it reminds us of our own neediness. And it can become overwhelming. And so to love your neighbor, you must be able to see clearly and feel deeply. The Samaritan alone would touch this man because he had an awareness of what it was like to be untouchable. The Samaritan alone was able to give mercy for those in need because he knew his own need for mercy. But to love our neighbor isn't just to see clearly, not just to feel deeply, but to give freely. Look with me at verse 34 where the Samaritan puts on a clinic in compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil to ease the pain and wine to clean the wounds. Verse 34. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. You see, the wounded man was too weak to walk, and so the Samaritan gave him his own animal to ride on, meaning he himself had to walk. It cost him something in order to love his neighbor, who ought to have been responsible for riding on the Jericho Road. But he gave freely. Now, it goes on to say that he didn't just drop him off at the inn. In fact, he stayed overnight to take care of him. And the next day, verse 35, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. According to an ancient historian, you could stay at an inn in Italy for a fraction of a denarius. So what this means is if, this is, if there's an analogy to what the costs were like around this time in Palestine, then what that means is that 
what the Samaritan was doing was paying for about two months of room and board. So it's not a small sum. But not only did he do that, you saw he actually gave a blank check to cover all expenses beyond that. This is insane how freely he's giving. And so we could summarize the neighbor love of the Samaritan with words from the text. He saw, he had compassion, he gave. The Samaritan loved without prejudice and without price. He saw, he had compassion, he gave. Now Jesus sums up the story right here in verse 35. He asks the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. You see how, how much disdain the lawyer has. He can't even say the Samaritan, the one who showed him mercy. Now, the question is really important here. Jesus takes the lawyer's question, he flips it and reverses it, and he says, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? How he ends this parable is key to understanding the whole thing because what he's doing is he's helping us to get a clue to how to understand the whole story. Who is it that Jesus wants the lawyer to identify with? I think most of us assume that it is the Good Samaritan, and we would be right in a sense, right? He says to him, go and do likewise. But, but listen, his question is asking something of the lawyer. He asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Whose perspective is he explicitly telling the lawyers to take? Whose shoes is he trying to see the world from? He doesn't even have any shoes because he was beaten and stripped you see, Jesus wants the lawyer not to see himself as the good Samaritan, but as the dead man, beaten, naked, wounded. Because if he saw himself as the good Samaritan, if you saw yourself as the good Samaritan in this story, you would either feel that as a challenge and think, man, I just need to step up and work harder and do better and love more, give more freely, see more clearly, whatever else Ben said. You could just take it that way. Or you could be like, gosh, every time I read this story, it destroys me because I, I'm just terrible at loving my neighbor. I'm so self-centered. I'm so busy. I'm so cheap. That's not what Jesus is after here. Because none of those would get at the root of justifying yourself. Jesus wants the lawyer and you and me to identify with the man who is beaten broken, so helpless that he couldn't find mercy from anybody but a Samaritan. You see, it's only in being loved by the Good Samaritan that we can begin to love like the Good Samaritan. So who is this Good Samaritan? Now, you know it's going to be Jesus, but listen, I want to argue that Luke actually has that in mind. Later in Luke 18, a few chapters after this, Jesus is traveling on the road to Jericho. But he's coming from Jericho to Jerusalem, and there's a man who everyone is passing by, and this man cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heals the man. Sounds very good Samaritan-like to me. Here's another piece. In the Gospel of Luke, no one else shows compassion or gives mercy but God and Jesus. Here's another one. If you were to read through the Gospels, I, I want to challenge and encourage you to do this. Read through the Gospels and underline everywhere it says, Jesus saw and had compassion. He saw and he had compassion. It happens 
all over the place. So you, as, a, as an attentive reader of the text, would hear that language in the Good Samaritan that he saw, and he had compassion, and you go, this is Jesus. Right off the bat, you didn't have to wait till the end when Jesus asked the question. B.B. Warfield, a theologian from Princeton back in the day, uh, has an excellent article that's free online called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And he says this, The emotion which we should naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to Jesus, the man whose whole life was a mission of mercy, is no doubt compassion. In point of fact, this is the emotion which is most frequently attributed to him. What he's saying is, more than any other emotion exhibited by Jesus in the Gospels, is compassion. I want you to let that sink in. I want you to let that change your heart and your notions of Jesus as being hard and cold and austere and standoffish. Because it's not true to the text. It's not true to the biblical Jesus. In fact, his heart burned and broke with compassion. His whole life was a mission of mercy. He didn't just travel the 17 miles and the 3,000 foot descent from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus traveled from heaven to earth an impassable distance. Why? To move into your neighborhood. To be your neighbor. Jesus is the one who stepped near to see our need. He doesn't have to pass by on the other side. He's not put off by your suffering or your sorrow. In fact, his heart wells up with compassion. Now you might say, okay, yeah, yeah, but what about my sin? I would submit to you, it was your very sin and the, and the, the way it's wreaked havoc on your life and on this world that moved Jesus to take up flesh and become one like you and me. You see, Jesus sees and he has compassion. It's the very thing that moves him towards you. Now, unlike the priest, unlike the Levite, every time Jesus encounters uncleanness, his purity prevails. Every time he meets death, he brings life because Jesus' mercy overcomes impurity. The only thing that has Jesus pass you by, the only thing that would have him step aside is your sense of adequacy. If if you're sitting there thinking that you've got a sense of self-sufficiency, you're not in need of Jesus this morning, he will give you the distance you're demanding. He will pass you by. But listen, if you this morning feel your need for this Samaritan, For this good man, for this one whose whole life was a mission of mercy, he draws near, he steps towards, he sees clearly, he feels deeply, and he gives generously and freely to you. All of us need all of Jesus for all of life. That's what this parable is meant to tell us. And so whether you're Uh, a skeptic or a cynic this morning, I want to ask you, do you feel your need for Jesus? Maybe this morning you are a lifelong Christian. You've just been walking with Jesus for a long time to where it's kind of rote at this point. Do you feel your need for Jesus this morning? Some of you are weak and wounded. Some of you are wounded, or I'm, I'm sorry, weary and wayward. Some of you are lonely and lazy. Do you feel your need for Jesus this morning? Because he draws near to us in our need. Now only then, when we receive the love of Jesus as his neighbor, can we go out and give the love of Jesus to our neighbors. And so as I close, I just want to look at this. 
I want to look at one last thing here. Why didn't Jesus end the whole story after verse 34? Why include 35 about the inn and the innkeeper and coming back? This is why. If Jesus is the good Samaritan, you and I individually, each of us is the wounded man on the road. But all of us together, corporately, the church, new city, is the inn and the innkeeper. What this means is that Jesus, uh, like the good Samaritan who came across and, and invited the innkeeper to be a participant in his act of mercy, Jesus gives this dignity and responsibility to the church. The mercy Jesus began, we get to continue. The mercy Jesus began at his own expense, we get to continue at our own expense. New City ought to be a place where we are welcoming to those who need mercy. Let me just do a litmus test real quick. Is our culture such that people who are wounded and wicked and weary and wayward, could they come in here and see other people that are just in, as much in need of Jesus as they are? Could the poor come in here and sit down next to the rich and have no problem because all of us need all of Jesus for all of life? It's a litmus test to how much like an inn and an innkeeper we really are as a congregation. And so let us be a place of healing. Let us continue the healing that Jesus began at his expense out of our own pockets. Let us spend what we cannot keep to purchase what we cannot earn. Jesus has given us a blank check. Let us spend it in love for Orlando. Because the text says that Jesus will repay us when he comes back. Let's pray. Our Father, you are the fountain of all mercy. You sent your son Jesus into this world to take on our role as our neighbor. Lord Jesus, let us learn to love how to love by being loved by you. Holy Spirit, you are the one who pours out the love of the Father into our hearts that we might return back, Abba Father, and that we might love our neighbors as ourselves. Give us that grace this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.